Second Chronicles chapter 34. Our sermon text this morning is especially verse 27, but for the sake of context, I'll be reading the whole chapter. Second Chronicles chapter, <clears throat> chapter 34 from verse 1. <clears throat> Hear now the word of the Lord. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, when he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father, and in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places, and the groves, and the carved images, and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence, and the images that were on high above them he cut them uh, he cut down. And the groves and the carved images and the molten images he break in pieces and made dust of them and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali with their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves, and had beaten the uh, the graven images into powder, and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. Now in the eighteenth year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent to Shaphan the son of uh, Azaliah, and Masaiah the, the governor of the city, and Joah the son of Johaz the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And when they came to Hilkiah the high priest, They delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites kept, uh, that kept the doors, had gathered of the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim, and of all the remnant of Israel, and of all Judah and Benjamin, and they returned to Jerusalem. And they put it in the hand of the workmen that had the oversight of the house of God, and they gave it to the workmen that wrought in the house of the Lord to repair and to amend the house." Even to the artificers and the builders gave they it to buy hewn stone and timber for for couplings and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully, and and the overseers of them were Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites, the sons of Merari, and Zechariah and Meshulam of the sons of the Kohathites to set it forward. And, uh, and other of the Levites, all that could, all that could skill of in- instruments of music. Also, they were over the, the bearers of burdens and were overseers of all that wrought the work in any manner of service. And of the Levites, there were scribes and officers and porters. And when they brought out the money that was in, that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law of the Lord in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book unto Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word, 
back again, saying, All that was committed to thy servants, they do it. And they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord, and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers, and to the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah and, and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Abdon, the son of Micah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah, the, the, a servant of the kings, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. And Hilkiah, and they that the king had appointed went to Holda the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of uh, Tikvath, the son of Hashra, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they spake to her after that effect. And she answered them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell ye the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burn incense unto other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be poured out upon this place and shall not be quenched. And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall ye say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king word again. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord. And all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small, and he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which, was, which are written in this book. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations out of the countries that pertained to the children of Israel and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. And all his days they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Josiah was born into a society of abject wickedness. 
A society, though visibly, though they were in fact the visible church, had departed from the Lord, had turned aside unto other gods and set up temples for idols while the house of the Lord sat in decay. And our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us that where iniquity abounds, love grows cold and hearts grow hardened. How easy it is when you're surrounded by a society that is given over to sin to yourself become desensitized to sin, for your own heart to become hardened. And so really, if anyone might have had an excuse to have a hardened heart, it would have been King Josiah. Not only were all of his people, his subjects, hard-hearted, not only had all of them departed from the Lord, but even his father and his grandfather, who were of the lineage of King David, they had departed from the Lord and served other gods. Really, throughout most of the history of Judah, most of their kings did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, except for a few notable exceptions. However, Josiah was different. Josiah is set forth as an example of a tender heart in the midst of a hard-hearted nation and a hard-hearted generation. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. His grandfather Manasseh reigned for over 50 years in Judah. He reigned 55 years in Judah, and this man was exceedingly wicked. Not only did he tolerate idolatry, but he himself practiced witchcraft. Not only did he do so, but he even sacrificed his own children unto false gods. He passed them through the fire. And really think about that for a second, friend. The descendants of King David, relatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, were sacrificed unto Baal and to Moloch. But in his days, the Lord brought a judgment. And although Manasseh had was so deep into iniquity, yet the Lord converted him in his affliction and he turned and humbled himself before his God. Sadly, however, his son did not follow in his footsteps, at least not with respect to his humiliation before God. His son, Ammon, when he began to reign, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and humbled not himself as his father Manasseh and continued in all the sins that had so permeated throughout Judah and walked in their idolatry. And the people of the land slew him and put King and put Josiah in his stead, even though he was only eight years old. And the reign of King Josiah is summarized in verse two for us as, as he, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father, declining neither to the right hand nor to the left. He did all the things, all things that God had required of him. Because when he was in the eighth year of his reign, when he was 16 years old, he began to seek the God of David and to purge Israel and to purge Judah from all of its idolatry. Really, from the time of Solomon, Judah began to be infected by idolatry. You recall that that Solomon, for the sake of his pagan wives, 
He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. For the sake of his wives, he brought in idolatry into the Holy Land and built temples unto false gods. So that in the Holy Land of Israel, idolatry began not only to be publicly tolerated, but even to be established by law. And this thing became a snare unto Israel and to Judah for generation after generation after generation. Until really the people had no sense of the worship of the true and the living God, no sense of the worship of Jehovah. They really were Baal worshipers. They came into a land, a land that they were promised would be flowing with milk and honey, and they saw the nations round about them prospering. And why did they prosper? Because they worshipped the God, the God that they thought brought rain and prosperity, Baal. And so in order to have some of that prosperity themselves, they worshipped Baal as well. And throughout the land of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, there were altars and high places unto Baal, while the, while the temple of God sat in decay. But Josiah, because his heart was right before his God, began to purge the land of these things. And so as we read in our text, and we read in in this chapter in, in 2 Chronicles 34, Josiah, he's characterized as doing that which is right in the sight of the Lord because he began to seek the Lord his God from his youth and to break down the altars of Baal and to destroy all of the images in, in second, in, in second Kings, we read that he, he removed the Sodomites as well from the land that were associated with the, with the idolatrous temples. And as he was about this work, and as he sought to restore the house of God, the book of the law of God was found. And, and this really is a remarkable thing that the book of the law The word of God, which was written by Moses and was stored in the Ark of the Covenant, because the true worship of God, the true religion of the Lord had been so long neglected, this book had been lost, sitting somewhere in the temple. And until Josiah had set his mind to restore the temple, it was not found. In the 18th year of his reign, when it The work of restoring the temple is going on. Hilkiah the priest finds the law, the book of the law, and brings it unto King Josiah, and it is read in his ears. Now, Josiah, up until this point, had never heard the law read, the law being those first five books of Moses. He had sought the Lord through the prophets that were there, through Holda the prophetess, and through Jeremiah as well, who was a prophet in those days. But he had never actually heard the word of God read that was written from the hand of Moses. And when he hears the word read, when he hears the word read, it immediately pierces his soul. It pierces his soul and causes him to weep and to humble himself before God. And immediately he understands, he understands the state of him and his nation. He understands why his nation is in disarray. 
why there's wrath, why there's suffering. Because him, because his nation and his fathers had forsaken the Lord their God and turned aside unto other gods. And they read distinctly in the law that if they did such things, God would bring his judgment upon them. And so Josiah, having heard these things, he sends he sends some of his men to go and to inquire of the Lord from Huldah the prophetess and to ask what is going to happen to the people and to himself personally. And as we come down to our text, our text is the reply that is given from the Lord unto King Josiah after his inquiry. As we look at verse 23, she answered them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell ye the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me. Just as God had said through Moses his servant, Generations ago, he would bring his hand of judgment upon that people. And in the days of kings, uh, of Josiah's son, King Zedekiah, he would send the Babylonian empire to come and to occupy and eventually to raise Jerusalem down to the ground and to slaughter them with a great slaughter. And this could not be avoided, at least on a corporate level. But, as we look at verse 26, And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to, to inquire of the Lord, so shall you say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me. I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord and will gather you to your fathers in peace. As we come to our text, what we will see is that only those who have a tender heart will escape the judgment of God. Only those that have a tender heart will escape the judgment of God. In verse 27, we see a description, first of all, of Josiah's heart. His heart was tender, and, after, and from that flows in action. He humbles himself before God. And the occasion upon which he humbled himself when he heard the words of the law that were written. And because he had this tender heart, a, a, a consequence follows, which is that the Lord has heard him and will spare him personally from this corporate judgment that's to come upon the land. And so as we look at verse 27 this morning, as we consider Josiah's tender heart, we consider the theme that only those that have a tender heart will escape the judgment of God, we'll consider it under three headings. First of all, the cause of Josiah's tender heart. The cause of Josiah's tender heart. Secondly, the characteristics of Josiah's ten tender heart the characteristics of Josiah's tender heart, and lastly, the consequence of Josiah's tender heart. The consequence of Josiah's tender heart. 
But first of all, the cause or the source, the reason that Josiah had this tender heart. Certainly, it wasn't because he was raised in a godly household. His father served all the gods of the nations and did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. It certainly it wasn't because he was wise, wise due to his old age and his life experience, because he came unto the throne when he was only eight years old. But it was only through a special work of God's saving grace, which softened an otherwise hardened heart, that Josiah had this tender heart that was receptive to God's word. And we see, we see that God had used a certain means to awaken Josiah, to awaken his conscience, and to cause him to flee unto the Lord for mercy. As he heard the word of God read, he didn't merely hear an ancient book being read. He didn't merely hear some kind of Hebrew poetry being read, but he heard the words of the living and the true God, which incited him to action incited him to humiliation. And so God working effectually through his word is the sole cause that gave Josiah this tender heart. In other words, the, rege- the, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that humbles a sinner, that takes out a hardened heart of, of stone and puts in a hardened of flesh was the source of Josiah's tender heart. And, and really, what is this tender heart? What does it mean to have a tender heart before the Lord? Well, we see the characteristics of Josiah's heart. It is, first of all, sensible. It's sensible. It's sensitive. It has a a kind of feeling. When it sees sin, when it hears the word of God, it is moved by it. That's the first characteristic of Josiah's heart. You see, even as a young man, 16 years old, he was sensitive towards the sins of his fathers, towards the sins of his nation. He didn't use the fact that these things were so widespread as an excuse for himself to continue in them. And and how often is it that we really do that, friends? We see what's going on around us and we compare ourselves by ourselves and we justify continuing in the sins of our fathers or the sins of our society because our own hearts have been hardened due to their influence. But not so with Josiah. Josiah was described as declining neither from the right hand to the left, even as a young man, even as a teenager. He was willing to follow the Lord his God fully because his heart was tender. And so a tender heart is first of all sensible. It is sensitive to the Lord, to, to the law of God and sensible to sin. This first of all teaches us how we ought to take heed to guard our own hearts. How easy is it to become desensitized to sin? especially in a society where it is so abundant. 
How easy is it to justify sin because everyone else is doing it, even within the church? Josiah's priests and his Levites, his pastors, were all idol worshipers. Josiah could have justified continuing in sin because it was the tradition of his fathers. But under no pretense whatsoever, under no pretense whatsoever may we continue in sin, whether it's by tradition, whether it's by popular approval. Regardless of any of these things, a tender heart yields itself to the direction of God's law and God's law alone. Josiah's heart was tender in that it was sensitive towards God's law and and towards sin. And it was also yielding. Josiah was willing to yield to, to God's correction. This, this really is one of the things that we ought to take note of a tender heart and ask ourselves whether we have one. Is when we are corrected, when we are rebuked by God's word, are we willing to take it and to take heed and to repent? Or do we immediately justify ourselves and double down, refuse to take heed and continue on in our own ways? Josiah, when he heard the word read, he immediately applied it to himself. He looked at God's law as a a mirror for himself and for his kingdom and said, all of these things, all of these judgments apply to us because we have forsaken the Lord, our God. This is one of the marks or characteristics of of a tender heart, and that it's willing to look at God's word as though it's a mirror and accept whatever rebuke, correction, or even judgment that it might pronounce. Such was Josiah's tender heart. It was sensitive, it was yielding, and it was humble. It was humble in that it was willing to seek out the will of God, willing to seek out the will of God and and find out what it needs to be done in order to bring forth fruit meat for repentance. Josiah's heart was tender before the Lord and therefore he sought out the Lord, sought out the Lord through the prophetess at that time, Huldah. And the Lord brings the answer. And says that although evil is going to be brought upon the nation at large, upon the visible church at large, although that temple is going to be destroyed, razed to the ground, and Judah is going to be taken away captive unto Babylon, but because you, Josiah, have had a tender heart and humbled yourself before me, I will spare you from this judgment. I'll spare you from this judgment and bring you down to the grave in peace. And here we really do see our theme, don't we? Although a nation, although even a church, might be wholly given over to sin and incur upon themselves the wrath and the judgment of God, those who humble themselves before the Lord, those who take heed to his word, 
and are yielding under his correction and under his rebukes, God will, in fact, have mercy upon them. This is the consequence of Josiah's tender heart. I've called it a consequence and not an effect in that it doesn't have a cause and effect relationship. It's not as though, it's not as though through having a tender heart, Josiah therefore merited something before God, merited his mercy. Because as we saw, first of all, that his heart was, came from the Lord himself. But this mercy that is shown is merely a consequence in order that those to whom God shows mercy, he also gives a tender heart. Josiah, this tender-hearted young man who came to the throne at merely eight years old and began to seek his God at 16 and began to purge the land from all of its idol and all, all of its idols and all of its sins, had a holy zeal for his God did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And as we read in the last part of the chapter, even led the people to renew their covenant with their God. Josiah stands to us as an example. An example not only to all kings, not only to all those that are in positions of leadership, but even unto all Christians. We see that when we come under the conviction of God's word, it is incumbent upon us, it is required of us that we humble ourselves, that our hearts are, are, are tender. A, a tender heart is a heart that can be molded and shaped and directed and changed. A hard heart is one that no matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter what, whether God sends a prophecy whether he sends affliction, they just won't listen. They just won't change. A, a tender heart is one that hears God's word and humbles itself and changes its direction. A hardened heart just can't be reasonable. A hardened heart sees what's wrong, sees God's law, and ignores it. Goes on in its own ways and brings destruction upon itself. But a tender heart, a soft heart, before God is one that yields itself to his instructions. And so it was with King Josiah. As a king, as a king, he ordered all of his affairs. He used all of the power that God had given him in order to lead corporate repentance and covenant renewal, to destroy out of the land all of its idols And to bring in the law of God to be observed by those that were in his care. This sets an example. Though none of us might be kings or, or civil officers, civil magistrates, yet some of us indeed are in positions of leadership. All those that are in a position of leadership, either as a parent, as a husband, we are to follow King Josiah's example and have a heart that is tender. To, to take up God's word and to look at ourselves and to look at our households and ask ourselves the question, are we standing, are we living in violation of God's law? And when we see things in the word of God that it requires of us, we're not to justify ourselves and make up excuses 
When we see that God's word requires of us that we worship him day and night as individuals and as families, that's to bring us to repentance and to cause us to seek his face for forgiveness and to begin to do those things that, are, that he requires of us. As we saw in King Josiah's life, he declined not to the right hand nor to the left. There was, if there was anything that God's law required, he was willing to reform it in every aspect of his life. He didn't have one area of his life that wouldn't be touched, but he brought all of it. He brought all of it under obedience to God's word. All of these things are characteristic of a tender heart. And we ought to strive to follow his example, not only in ourselves, but also in all those that are in our care, our children. Our employees, if we have them. But also as individuals, we are to follow King Josiah's example. Because we saw that because there was such widespread iniquity throughout the land, God was bringing a corporate judgment. But we know that God is a God of justice, a God of mercy towards his people that does not forget his own, that does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. And so unless we, like King Josiah, have a heart that is tender, a heart that is sensitive towards God's law, a heart that abhors sin, we will be partakers of the corporate judgments of our nation as well. But, and if we do have such a tender heart, a tender heart that's full of repentance and faith towards Jesus Christ, then we too escape the judgment that is to come. And, And this really is our theme this morning, that our hearts ought to be tender before the Lord, and only those that have such a tender heart will escape God's judgment, and God's judgment is coming. Not only upon this nation corporately, but to each and every individual as well, for is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. And so the question for us this morning is, do we have this tender heart like Josiah? As we read the word of God, and we come under conviction of sin as we see how it describes a godly man or a godly woman, how it describes how we ought to be with our, with our speech, in our conduct, how we live. As we see these things, what is our response? Is our response to buckle down, to justify ourselves, to rationalize our sin? Or is our response to accept the correction that the word of God brings, to humble ourselves and to be willing to repent and to learn, to inquire of the Lord the right way to go? A tender heart is the product really only of a sight, a sight of a crucified Savior. Josiah, looking ahead 
and seeing Christ in the types and the shadows, in the slain lambs and upon the altar and upon the mercy seat, had a sight of Christ that was obscure compared to the sight that we have today. While Josiah saw Christ as a glimmer in the darkness, we see Christ set forth as the noonday sun. Christ, in all of his splendor, and all of his mercy, is set forth to us in the pages of the New Testament with an incredible clarity. Our children being catechized have more gospel light, have more knowledge of Jesus Christ and the true God than most of the high priests throughout all of Israel's history. Therefore, as we have gospel light that shines upon our hearts, it ought to melt our hearts like wax and make us have a tender heart as we think upon Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was put to death for the sins of his people. The death of Christ is the chief instrument that softens a Christian's heart. You see, the law can only do so much. The law cannot give life. The law really only brings death, even death to the conscience as it cuts us down, exposes our sins, and brings declarations of God's judgment. The law brings wrath. The law exposes our sin. But in the gospel... The gospel brings life. You see, it's one thing for fear of judgment and for fear of wrath to have a selfish desire to turn that you might avoid judgment. But to the Christian, to the one whose heart has been touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they see a crucified Savior. They see love on display, divine love demonstrated by the death of Christ who gave himself while we were yet sinners. They see Jesus Christ crucified. And this incites them, it motivates them to put off all sins. They see their own sins, their personal sins, as the very stripes upon Christ's back, as the nails in his hands and in his feet, and the wrath of God poured out upon him on that cross. The Christian sees the death of Christ for sins and for gratitude, for thankfulness and for love, desires to put away all sin in order to serve this gracious Savior. Not merely to avoid judgment, but in order to do what is pleasing in the sight of a Christ that loves them. As you think upon God's judgment, of the judgment day that is to come, how do you think of Christ? Do you think of Christ merely as a get-out-of-hell-free card? as a way to avoid judgment. Indeed, he is that, but he's so much more. Are you thinking of Christ with a tender heart this morning? Are you thinking of him as the lover of your soul, the one the one that you desire to spend all of eternity with? 
this really is the greatest motivation to put sin to death as we look upon Jesus Christ. But we must confess, friends, we must confess that even as Christians, those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ oftentimes we give way to that old man that's yet in us. For the Christian is one that has two natures, an old man and a new man, an old heart and a new heart. Oftentimes, even the Christian, the true born-again Christian, can fall into times of hardness of heart, of spiritual backsliding and decay. But to all such, the Lord calls upon us to return unto him and he will turn unto us as we sing in Psalm 80. Though at times the Christian's heart might grow hard and callous, desensitized towards sin, when the Christian makes diligent use of the means of grace, sits under God's word, approaches unto God in prayer, meditates upon the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ, his heart will be softened once more. And he will taste and see that the Lord is good. I trust if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about by experience. There's been seasons in your life where you fall into spiritual darkness. When your heart has been insensible and desensitized. But God has sent a time of refreshing through his word, through the worship of God, through the fellowship of the saints. And you've been renewed. We are to strive to preserve a tender heart through the means of grace. By having our houses and our, our, our own prayer closets filled with God's word. By coming unto him often in prayer. By attending the public worship of God and the sacraments. And seeing all these things as means. Means whereby we, we draw near unto God so that our our hearts might be softened. As we consider the example of King Josiah this morning, it's set forth as an example to us on how we ourselves ought to live, how we ourselves ought to guard our hearts and cry out unto God with the psalmist to renew our hearts and to give us a to cleanse our spirits, give us a new heart so that we might, like King Josiah, do that which is right in his sight, understanding that none of these things are by our own righteousness, but by the righteous God who works in us to conform us to his righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. But that faith in Jesus Christ is a faith that desires to walk in the law of the Lord, not to merit anything before God, but in order to live out a life of love and gratitude to the Christ that has saved them and to declare him as their Lord. And so, friend, 
as you look at the example of King Josiah, as you meditate upon God's word, as you see the state of your own heart, and perhaps you see some some coldness, some hardness, some callous upon your own soul, bring yourself in humility under God's word. Yield yourself to its correction. Accept his afflictions and turn yourself unto God. Commit yourself unto him in humility, trusting in his goodness, trusting in his mercy, looking all the while to a crucified Savior who freely offers his salvation and also offers times of refreshing so that here and now you might taste of the goodness of the Lord, even in the land of the living. This tender heart of Josiah is cultivated through the work of God. It's preserved through his word. And it ought to be kept with all diligence, all diligence. For out of the heart are the issues of life. And so guard your heart. Be mindful of how easily you can be desensitized to sin through what you watch through what you listen to, by ignoring the motions of the Spirit that bring to mind the Word of God, that that remind you how you ought to season your speech with grace. So in those times, in those heat of the moment, when you want to speak harshly, yield to God's Word and all of His motions that lead you to repentance, so that your heart might remain tender before God, and that you might not be hardened before the Lord. But always, always look to Jesus Christ. For as the heart of God was put on display, as God's love was demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, there you will find a radiant sun that melts the hardest of hearts. And so look always to the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him for salvation And trusting in him for salvation, not merely as a one-time transaction. I believed on the Lord at that time in my life, two, three, twenty years ago. But look unto him day by day so that you might say truly with the Apostle Paul that you live by faith. For the just shall live by faith day by day. And so we ought to be looking unto Christ by faith every single day. And this is the way, this is the way to, to preserve a tender heart, just as King Josiah had. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word to lighten our path and to lead us in the way that we should go, giving us uh, godly examples of saints that have gone before. We confess, O God, that our hearts are all too hardened, that we often fall into seasons of of decay and declension. We ask, O God, that you would renew our hearts, that you would cleanse us within, that you would send your spirit to refresh us and to bring us into your presence once more, that we might look upon a crucified Savior in our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask for the forgiveness of sins and trust in your mercy, that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, all our sins are pardoned, and that you will indeed give us that new heart. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.